Hello and welcome to the Chorus in the Chaos podcast. My name is Jack. And uh, as we continue our trek through common struggles with a Christian life, our theme for season two, today I'm joined by a special guest. He's joined me before, but he's back. He's ready for action. It is the nerdy pastor, Ross Turner. Hey, Ross, how are you? Thanks, Thanks Jack, for having me back. And I am ready uh, for this podcast and uh, I'm, I'm fired up. Good. So. Good. Me too. Me too. Yep. This is a good one. So today we're going to be looking at, uh, as we continue again, common struggles of the Christian life. We've covered a number of topics over the throughout the year. Uh, Blake and Grayson will be back with me next time. They're they're out this week. Uh, but again, Ross has been kind enough and gracious enough to to sit in and talk through this topic with me. Um, th- this week we're going to be looking at hypocrisy and really comparing hypocrisy versus sincereness, a sincere faith, and what that looks like. We'll look at have a biblical definition of hypocrisy. How does the Bible uh, describe what it means to be uh, a hypocrite? How does it view it? Uh, we'll look at the sin itself. We'll look at a couple of verses in here. I think there's a text in the in the First John chapter two that really compares the faithful man versus the hypocrite. We'll spend some time in that, and then uh, near the end of the podcast, we'll spend some time. You know, if if how do we avoid becoming the hypocrite? How do we do that? So we've got some some things that we'll walk through there. But a couple quick housekeeping items before we jump into that. Uh, first and foremost, thank you guys so much for following and uh, listening. Uh, on the Facebook page this week, it blows my mind. We crossed 100,000 followers, which is just insane. So thank you so much. That's, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. That's incredible. Um, please, uh, if if you do like this, leave us reviews. Those help people find the podcast. Uh, if you happen to check us out on YouTube, comment, you know, tell us you like Ross's glasses, his wallpaper. I don't know, something. Just type something. I don't care what it is. Uh, but that'll help other Maybe people. Maybe the, the unused ministerial robe in the back, Jack. There you, you go. Never know. Yeah, comment on Jack, the unused ministerial. We never know. <laughs> but yeah. but any of those comments help people find it because it helps the algorithm. So anything you could do there uh, would be would be great. Okay, so hypocrisy. Um, mm. You know, when I went to put this outline together, I initially was overwhelmed because mm-hmm. there's a bazillion places in the Bible that I could have gone to to think about hypocrisy. Because in some sense as the people of God, anytime we sin or anytime sin is done, there is a level of inherent hypocrisy because we say we stand up against sin. We say, no, sin is bad. We don't want to do this. And then like Paul in Romans seven, I do the thing I don't want to do. You know, I say this is bad, but I do the thing anyway. And I think, I think it can be a difficult place to, to understand what does the Bible really say about hypocrisy? And, and extend that, uh, the common struggle that we all have as Christians because we deal with that. So I thought it'd be helpful to begin uh, with this, Ross. If we, if we look at what hypocrisy is in a biblical sense and what it is not, mm-hmm. um, any, any opening thoughts on just kind of the hypocrisy and, and you know, the, the struggle that is the Christian life? Yeah, I think um, kind of like you and I were chatting before we jumped on, um, I think one of the major areas that that why why it's not discussed and it's limited so much to onlookers to the church instead of people in the church ourselves because Christianity is no longer a sanctioned religion it's not a state religion it's not it's not enforced right um, you know uh, Calvin Calvin ran the show with his council in Geneva I mean it, it, they got to they got to call all the shots you know and um, so hypocrisy was um, part and parcel of pastoral ministry on a week to week basis uh, whereas now 
because of church and state relationship being separate, um, church being spiritualized to a to a, a poor degree, overly spiritualized. Um, hypocrisy is really not an issue anymore. It's more of just let's get people to church, um, essentially, yeah. and, and then really don't know what to do <laughs> past that really much, much of the time anymore in the American church. So it, I think a lot of it has to do with just there's there's not a a sense of it being in the diet of the pastoral ministry anymore. Right. And there's a whole other slew of reasons why that feeds into there being not a whole lot of discussion about hypocrisy, even though the Bible right. is is full of it. Yeah. Yeah, it is all over. It is all over. Yeah, well said. Yeah, there certainly is not as, a much, as much attention within the church itself on dealing with internal hypocrisy as there might have been in previous ages. I think that that's a true statement. Uh, so what it is not, I want to, I think this is helpful because um, when, when the Bible deals with it, it deals with it usually in a pretty specific context. And, and when I think about the New Testament, if you think about hypocrites, the people that will come to, to almost the, the front of the mind for, for almost all people would be the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Yeah. And, and for good reason, right? Jesus, Jesus does not hold back in his criticism uh, and what he says about these religious hypocrites. But before we get to that, what is it not? I want to be clear and, and maybe start with a bit of encouragement. Um, although it is a hypocritical act to sin, I'm not going to say it's not. It is a sinful thing. When we look about the seriousness of what hypocrisy is in the New Testament and how Jesus primarily deals with it, he's not talking about the Christian who is struggling with sin, as I kind of referenced yeah. earlier. You know, I, th I think it's easy for the world to look at Christians. And I, this, you know, we say we don't hear about it in the church a lot. Where I do tend to hear about it is people outside the church pointing fingers at Christians being like, you hypocrites. You say you don't yeah. do this, don't do this, but you do the same thing. And, you know, a lot of time they're right. We, we, we have indwelling sin, and as long as that is there, we are going to act hypocritically at times. It's just going to happen. So in the most basic of definitions, every Christian then is a hypocrite because we, while we speak out, of, out, out against sin, we're still sinners. Um, yep. And that is true. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that. In fact, we'll talk about the seriousness of what that can be later. Uh, but I want to draw a distinction between one who struggles with sin, and the key word being struggle with sin, versus the example we see with the scribes and Pharisees who are just so deliberate, deliberate and, and, and outward with it. Like, it's not this, man, I keep doing this thing I don't want to do. It is, I'm doing this thing and I want to do it and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Right. So I, so yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's the distinction there. Go ahead. Yeah, I think like you're saying, um, Jack, I think that that's an important pastoral point for everyone listening. Um, also with the issue of um, actually a lot of things, including antinomianism. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone who's who, who commits sin is lawless, First John 3, 4 says. So, so there is something still inside us in indwelling sin that, that can make us hypocritical, that can make us lawless in the way that we live. But the difference here is a pattern of this that makes us a hypocrite or actually lawless ourselves in the way that we live. And the same is also true of someone um, who, who would be, um, I don't know, if anything that it's more of an, of an attribute or something that's characteristic, but not yet who you are. So right. I think that's important to know. The same thing is true of maybe on the other side is someone who is, has, a, has a tendency toward legalism, but it's not a legalist. Right. I think that, that's important for us to know in ourselves too, that we're struggling with sin. And part of that struggle is hypocrisy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So a key text here, uh, Matthew 23, 1 through 36. I don't want to read the entire thing for the sake of time because that's most of the chapter. 
but if you feel so inclined, pause this, go read it. Um, it's probably a text if you've you know read through the New Testament. It may have stuck out to you before because the, Jesus does not hold back. Arguably, is most vocal um, in in terms of his criticisms. And yeah, the the, the and to that point, when we think about the biblical approach, like the serious religious hypocrite that we see in Scripture. Uh, they tend to be focused on the religious. And we see in Matthew 23 uh, with the scribes and the Pharisees that what Jesus describes is not someone who's struggling with sin. It is, it's far more insidious. It's far more deliberate. Um, and it is just, there is, I don't care, right? I am doing what I want to do, and I hate everyone who's in my way. Uh, mm -hmm. Kevin DeYoung, he gave this, this, uh, this, this uh, uh, I read this definition of a hypocrite, and I thought it was a Pretty, pretty useful, right? Because it's and it's similar to what Jesus says, but he describes the religious hypocrite, the serious, uh, the serious hypocrite, the lawless hypocrite that that we see in Matthew twenty three is one who uses their public virtue to try and hide their private rot. That is a great quote. Um, we see in the New Testament that word for hypocrite. Uh, the Greek word there is is literally rented out an actor under, under assumed character. You can think of one wearing a mask. Yep. Like they're, they're just deliberately portraying someone else, right? It's again, it's, I don't want to stress this because I think, I think this topic can be really debilitating for some people uh, we, because it is something we all do. Um, there's an, such an intentionality. If you think about an actor putting on a mask, getting on stage and doing everything they can to be someone they're not. That's the distinction. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're you're right on about that, Jack. I think it's someone who has created um, essentially a bifurcation between public-private life. Yeah. Someone who has really divorced what they profess and what they possess in Christianity. It's the, the common problem between a knowledge and actual godliness. Right. Um, and someone who doesn't care about that divorce who's not trying to bring that together, who's not trying to give investment spiritually to bring those closer, but someone who's fine how far apart they are. Yeah, they don't care. There's And, yeah. and we've said it before, but there's no struggle, right? Yep. There's no struggle with sin. They're yeah. gladly doing it. Um, Ma Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'll go ahead and read that because it's a shorter section. But what we see here is Jesus describes... Uh, four main offenses. I think there's a mm -hmm. lot of things you could pull out of this, but there's four main offenses of the religious hypocrite. Uh, and then after this, again, he goes into the woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you. And then he just lays into it. But the, I'll, I'll read one through 12, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk about quickly about the four main offenses that Jesus brings out. Uh, 23.1, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses's seat so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move, move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. This is just a great verse here, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, 
and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, yeah, just a beautiful text. So, so four things here, if you didn't pick them out, um, these scribes and Pharisees, Jesus clearly says uh, that their mm -hmm. words don't follow their deeds. I mean, that's kind of the obvious, most basic definition of, of a hypocrite, right? Uh, I think it's verse three, Jesus says, for they preach, but they do not practice. That's straightforward. Uh, to me, this is a bigger one. Again, you see this, this, the, the insidiousness of this sin continuing to escalate beyond just inconsistencies. They cast burdens on others they're not going to bear. Verse four, Jesus says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So you see, you can see it ramping up maybe, right? Uh, yeah, you they even see the, sorry, you see in the, the relationship, Jack, of, of what you're saying there, you see how the apostles do the exact opposite in Acts 15. Mm. It says, we're not going to put upon right. you what our fathers could not bear. So we see that the opposite is understanding the load. And then also Jesus saying, my, my burden is light. My burden. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah That's, beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, these scribes and Pharisees, they publicly perform deeds for the purpose of personal gain and notoriety. They love the attention. It says that yeah. they, um, they love the, the honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogue. They love the attention. They love being called rabbi. They just soak up the, the soak it up. They soak it up. And then I think mm. I said this word right. The five phylacteries. Yeah. Is that, did I say that right? I kind of. I mean, that, there's no there's no English uh, um, reading card on that one, Jack. I mean, you <laughs> think you made it yourself? When, you got when, it. When I don't know a word, I just say it as boldly and confidently as I can, and you know, just, no one will just go where it takes you. <laughs> but but see, and, the, and you think about this. I, I think I've read this text before and like never really thought about this until yeah. today. <clears throat> But just the absurdness of what this is. So if you're not sure what a phylactery is, these were little scrolls of parchment, small little cube-shaped cases made of leather that contain scripture passages written mm -hmm. on parchment. And these scribes and Pharisees, they would literally wear them on yeah. their left arm and on their forehead as a way, if you think about, I think it's Deuteronomy 11, 11 18. Uh, we have this command of scripture that says, you shall therefore lay up for the words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They took that so literally yep. that they're literally wearing scripture and showing it off of how holy they are. Yep. I mean, it's just flaunting. I mean, it, it is so deliberate, so insidious. And I, I mean, it's just, it's absurd. It really is kind of an absurd thing in the, you know, our, our day and time now, if you saw someone walking around like that, but that's what they did. And they, they yeah. did it as a spectacle. It was a complete spectacle. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, to, to think about that was, you know, we're in a, a culture now that, that anything religious is like off limits, you know, in the culture, yeah. but, you know, still in the Middle East, it's very much not that way. It's still very much everything's it's still obviously modernized, but religion is still very much right in front and center. And it can become such an, a formality that it becomes, like you said, it becomes an absurdity. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus is, is much of the time coming up against with the Pharisees and those like them. They, they have, they have taken the scriptures so literally that they have woodenly missed everything about them. Yeah. And, and it's, it's almost comical, like you're saying, when you read through his 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 indictment here to the formality and the formalism and the man pleasing in these things that they're doing yeah yeah they they have so missed the point yeah and and it, and again they're not struggling with it they love it oh they <laughs> they so love happy. it they soak it up everyone knows 
everyone who comments, you know, you know, on the Pharisees knows that they're supposedly the ones who got it. And then Jesus comes and he basically undermines them at every chance he gets. Yes, he does. And it culminates here. And then he judges the temple in chapter 24 and then off we go. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So I think we've kind of established, I hope, what it is and what it isn't in a biblical yeah. sense of hypocrisy. Let's look at the seriousness of this thing. Because it is a little comical when you think about this scene um, in our day and time. But, yeah. uh, you know, to be fair, Jesus wasn't laughing. He was incredibly direct and harsh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, if you continue yeah. to read 23, you see this criticisms come from Jesus. And for this again, for the sake of time, I won't read it. It's, it's, there's quite a bit here. Um, but he calls them children of hell. He calls them blind guides. Uh, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. Uh, the term lawlessness, Ross, which you mentioned earlier, he comes up and then he says, woe to you seven, seven, maybe eight times um, throughout this text, which is just like, it's like a curse, like not a cur literal curse, but it's like, be a curse. Like, it's just, whoa, yep. you are, you are done. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he says that over and over. Um I mean, it, it is the publicly religious that Jesus refers to yeah. when he utters one of the scariest verses for me in all of the Bible, Ma Matthew yep. 7. It's a few chapters yep. earlier. But in Matthew 7, Jesus says, not every one who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on mm -hmm. that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, that that is a terrifying verse for anyone who claimed, I don't know, maybe I'm not as assured in my faith as I should be, but that verse just terrifies me. Yeah, it really is a terrifying thing. I think, I, I think you know, that's part of a Christian's heart is that they're, they're truly fearing God. And I think you know, they understand that, that the Lord ultimately is the master over them. And, you know, I'm teaching our, our church right now through the book of Colossians. And it's always interesting how much Paul uses the lordship of Christ in Colossians, of course, the supremacy of Christ to, to basically win every argument. Like every argument, it's like, and he's Lord. And Jesus, as he comes, he's basically reestablishing, like, this is my house and I'm going to judge it how I see fit. This is how the writer of Hebrews argues in Hebrews 3. He's basically quoting Ezekiel 34. That's yeah. what he's doing. He's quoting Ezekiel 34 and he says, this is my house. These are my sheep and you are blind shepherds and you are not my under shepherds. I don't know who you are. You're Satan's. And yeah. so it just shows he, he has that same kind of argumentation throughout most of the gospels, but here probably more than anywhere else, it all kinds comes to bear together. And he, he kind of, it shows up as the whole story kind of comes together. Whereas before it was more bits and pieces. Right. Gospel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as we and, and as we continue to think about the sin of hypocrisy, and, and again, the the point of all that is, I just want to stress how seriousness it is. Uh, yeah. the, I'm sorry, the seriousness of it, how serious it is. Um, there's some deception with hypocrisy that I think we should be aware of, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that that maybe people don't think about uh, in, in a daily Christian walk of how you can be a hypocrite and self deceive yourself. And we talked about how deliberate, intentional the Pharisees were. They really didn't care, right? But there is a level of self-deception here. A hypocrite often never knows they're a hypocrite. The Pharisees didn't know they were hypocrites. They didn't care. There was no life there. I mean, they were dead. They were whitewashed yep. tombs, as Jesus said, children of hell. 
But as Calvin, Calvin had a great quote here. I jotted it down. Calvin mm. once said, hypocrisy can plunge the mind of a man into a dark abyss when he believes his own self-flattery instead of God's verdict. Yep. And, and hypocrisy just has that self-deceptive power. It's a scary thing. Hmm. What a powerful quote about from Calvin there. I think that really hits on probably the dynamic of how hypocrisy becomes so crystallized is it's ultimately man-pleasing. Yeah. It's ultimately about receiving the accolades and the adoration of people instead of the verdict of the one true God in his word and what God says to us and who we are in Christ. And, and irrespective, as one great pastor, Albert Martin, once said, mm. he says, the man of God is the one who does not uh, get up for smiles from the people, nor get deterred by their frowns. Yeah. Some powerful mm. stuff there. I think that really hits that quote you said, Jack, really hits on what causes hypocrisy is because you're simply looking for man's praise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And that, yeah. that goes to the other. You think about the deception of, of hypocrisy. There's the self-deception. But that man's praise there's an outward self there's an outward deception right a hypocrite's their primary objective is to make others think that they're righteous that they're better that they are right they long for the praise for the reward of others and they will deceive them to get it uh very so, famous verse uh matthew 6 do, do you have it up ross do you want to read that yeah yeah beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others truly i say to you they have received their reward but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you yeah yeah what a powerful. beautiful text yeah very mm. powerful yeah so the, there's there's a again there's a just an inherent deception inward and outward for yes. hypocrisy. Yes. Uh, a, another component related to the seriousness of the sin of hypocrisy that I, that I want to point out, maybe, maybe this is just understood, right? Uh, it's certainly clear in the, in the Matthew 23 <laughs> text with the scribes and Pharisees, but I just I want to be blunt. Um, God is just, he hates hypocrisy and he will judge hypocrites. Yep. Um, like any yep. other sin, but there is a yep. special uh, anger, righteous indignation for the religious hypocrite. Um, there's a famous text in Matthew 24. Um, mm. There's a, a parable here. I'll kind of cut to the end, uh, kind of mid-sentence for the sake of time. But he's verse 50, Matthew 24 says, The master of the servant will come in on that day, and he does not expect him. And at that hour, he does not know. And then verse 51 and I will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's probably 20 other verses. If you wanted to go dig through the new Testament, and old Testament about hypocrisy and the religious hypocrites uh, and the judgment that awaits them. Um, yep. So it is a serious thing. I, I, Again, we're 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 trying. I'm trying to bifurcate. I think Ross and are trying to bifurcate between the common struggle of one who struggles with sin and is a hypocrite, acts hypocritically from time to time, versus the religious, insidious hypocrite in the New Testament. Um, but I don't want to. I don't want to make light of the sin itself. Yeah, it's a yeah. serious thing for every believer. Yeah, you're you're hitting on the right kind of pastoral side of it, Jack. Because I think there is a sense of 
as as just Christians, we have to be aware of how sin plays into hypocrisy. Yet we also see with Jesus and Paul, especially engaging the sin of hypocrisy with the leadership of religion, right? right. Primarily with those who publicly have offices and, and, um, and publicity of, of the, the true God. And that's kind of where I think the heaviest weight always falls on when it comes to judgment from Jesus and from Paul. It always has to do with the officers of the church or the officers right. of the shepherds of Israel. It has a lot to do with those who have been, by God's kindness, has elevated them to a place or a platform where they are to represent an ambassador as ambassadors of God. And what they've done is they have, they have used it and abused it for their own purposes. And therefore the harshness is ratcheted up. Yeah. So just, you know, again, just because we're, we're maybe some of us aren't officers of the church, we still need to deal with hypocrisy in our hearts, but especially for those who have been elevated by God into some public place or format of religion, we must be weary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very weary. Very weary. And, yeah. and you know, the hypocrisy because of the self-deception nature of it, and, and and maybe all sin is like this to some point. Like if you leave sin in your heart unchecked, yeah. it'll just fester and grow and become something else over time. Yeah. It it may not happen overnight. But but mm -hmm. you think of, you know, I think about and I don't want to name names, everyone can think of their own example here, but they're these yeah. fallen pastors, right? These yeah. these men who were very prominent who fell into some type of moral failure, right? There's yeah. in the past 20 years, there's been unfortunately a lot of them. And at some point they made a decision to act hypocritically. Right. Uh, and it was a small decision, probably a long time ago. And they did nothing with it. Right. And you fast forward five years and they've conditioned themselves to be okay at some level acting hypocritically. Remember that I was talking about the yep. struggle with sin. And then by yep. the end, they find themselves in a place where the, they're acting just incredibly out of step with the gospel. So, yep. and th we are all susceptible to that. So Christian, just if you, if, if hip if you act, if you see yourself believing, acting, be acting like a hypocrite, kill that sin. Yep. Kill it. Put That's it exactly to death. It. Yeah. Don't let it, yeah, I mean, I, it, it will fester. As you're saying, it's going to, it's going to grow. Um, you know, either it's going to be killed or it's going to grow. It doesn't have a neutral spot, you know? Right. And I think that's why, you know, I love, um, love the book of Hebrews, um, especially for pastoral reasons, because it really gives weight to the seriousness of sin. And I love what it says in verse um, 12 of chapter three, it says, beware therefore, brethren, beware. The words beware didn't say just kind yeah. of think about it. Beware about what the deceitfulness of sin. Mm, that's right. So sin is not just this thing. It has also a, a plan to deceive you. And it always will tell you it's not that bad. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. That, that's how it first deceives you. Then it says, now follow me. So it's really something that is very deceptive in our hearts. And as you said, Jack, we make a decision to say we're fine with hypocrisy. Yeah. Like that's yeah, what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. It goes back to that Calvin quote, right? He says, yeah. man plunges his mind to a dark abyss when he believes his own self-flattery instead of God's yeah. verdict. That's exactly when We it. choose to believe ourselves over God's that's word. That's exactly it. It's for pastors like you're referencing, Jack. It's it, for pastors, I'm sure for anyone else in other places of work. It's look how much I've done for God. Yeah. Look at all the things I'm doing for God. Yeah. As if somehow they're doing it and if somehow God's blessing it. And somehow God's for all that, and somehow it's up to them. 
So all the focus is on them and they use it as a bartering ship with God. And they say, so therefore my hypocrisy is not a problem. Right. So there, therefore that, I think that's how we get ourselves into that kind of trouble by basically saying, look how much is pleasing people. Yeah. Instead of, he says, pleasing to you, Lord. Yeah. 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 Well said. Um, as we kind of shift to the second half here and, and work to wrap this up, I thought I'd draw attention to a text that I just love in first John, mm -hmm. Uh, because I think as we continue to think about the sin of hypocrisy, uh, I want to begin to shift a little bit and think about the opposite of that, the sincere yeah. one with sincere yeah. faith and kind of contra compare and contrast the two. So in 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, very famous text, right? Mm. But what we hear here is that we have an example of a hypocrite and we have one who's sincere in his faith. So we can begin to see how scripture begins to delineate between the two. Uh, and this is what the text says. And by this, we will know them that they have come. Sorry, let me start over. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, mm -hmm. whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected mm -hmm. by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so sincerity begins, right? I would say, if you want to look at this, how do we know we're sincere? I think it begins with those who truly know Christ. It begins mm -hmm. with knowing him, knowing Christ. And, and not just that they know him or know about him. Like when, when scripture uses this word know, um, it's not just knowledge, just kind of abstract knowledge, right? It's like a communing know, to know intimately. Yeah, that's one of my favorite uh, verses in the New Testament, that passage on First John 2 there. Um, I used to remember as a kid reading that, and I was not taught that passage in any effect. And I was like, this has got to be a joke, right? Like, <laughs> there's no way people can walk like Jesus in this. I mean, I was basically taught uh, a deficient form of Christianity uh, much of the time growing up of this idea of obeying God is something that you can, you actually can please God now only because you have found the one who is pleasing Jesus Christ. Yeah. So therefore, I, but I just wasn't taught that. So I just thought a lot of these things were hypothetical. So I think probably there's a lot of people out there that believe that same thing I believe growing up in that when there's a hypotheticalness there, there becomes a hypocrisy there. Yeah. It, it leads to hypocriticalness too. Um, the Bible is saying what the Bible means there, that you can walk with Jesus and you can obey his commands by grace. So I think I think what, what that speaks to, Jack, is to, to really avoid hypocrisy, we must actually know the power of the gospel. Hmm. The power of the gospel teaches us not just freedom from sin, but freedom for righteousness. Yeah. So there is a both sides of that. So there, how do we get away from hypocrisy? By becoming holy, <laughs> yeah. by, by, by wanting to follow Jesus. You know, I, my, my job every single week as a pastor and a preacher is to preach the simple gospel that is the profound gospel. And yeah. to preach the profound gospel is to preach a powerful gospel. And that's what changes people, not, not fun facts about the Bible, not really interesting things about Jesus, not religious, you know, sound bites about culture, but really what it means to love God and follow Christ. And I think that's really what will kill any, any desire for hypocrisy. Yeah. Who wants to fake it when you know you've got the real thing? Yeah. You know, I think back um, when I first went to Bible school, I was very excited to go because I was a relatively mm. new Christian and I was just mm. hungry to learn. Mm. And one of my favorite things as I transferred to a Bible college about halfway because I was like a coming into junior was this yeah. idea of chapel. Like I was 
one of those weird kids who was genuinely excited about chapels. Like I had to go to chapel yeah. and like, like I was excited. <laughs> and I, and I remember distinctly the first chapel I went to at, this is at Dallas Baptist university. And I won't share yeah. the name of the guy, uh, but he was a famous uh, Dallas, Fort, mm -hmm. Dallas, Fort Worth area, famous pastor. Mm -hmm. And he came on stage and I don't remember exactly what he said. So Maybe my memory of it is not as, uh, maybe it's skewed a little bit. Someone would be there and be like, this is like 20 years ago. So give me some, yeah. here. but this is how I remember it. He essentially said something like, let me show you what you can do if you have faith. And he, by memory recited, uh, Matthew's begats, like the, the genealogy in the beginning of mm -hmm. Matthew and everyone gave him this big applause. And then he talked about how important it is to uh, to know, to know scripture, because if you know scripture, you can recite Matthew's begats. But anyway, yeah. I remember, I remember sitting there and was like, this isn't helpful at all. Like what? <laughs> I don't care. That I you can recite this is not helping me whatsoever. <laughs> like, so I'm I was, sorry, but yeah, like I want to learn about Jesus here. And anyway, that's, I don't mean that's exactly throw the what guy it is. The bus, but, but yeah, but we don't, no, you're right. We, we don't it need is. to hear people recite Matthew's begats. Like, it's great if you can do that. I'm not saying that's inherently a bad thing. But if we can do that and we don't know why Matthew's begats are there and who it leads to, yeah. and why that's significant yeah. about the person of Christ, we've, we've missed the forest from the trees. No, I think you bring up a good point again there, Jack, is I think even the good things like that, like memorizing Matthew 5 and whatnot, can become religion if yeah. we don't understand how it connects to Jesus. You know, yeah. he's either the author and the sustainer of life or he's not. It's one or the other. So if we keep treating him like a principle and a participle and some some idea out there, and then basically think we can do religion on our own because we memorize and can quote scripture and say it on faith, then what we've done basically said we don't need Jesus to tell us time to need Jesus. Right. Um, no, the Bible says we need Jesus every single hour, every single moment, not just to save us, but to keep saving us yeah. and to prepare us for the final day, which is also called salvation in the Bible. So yeah. it's very important for us to remember He's the whole thing. There's nothing beyond Jesus. And I think, to be honest, that's where hypocrisy always misses. It thinks there's always something better than Jesus. Yeah. There's not. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, mis it's aiming at something else. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and something else that this First John text brings out, to walk in the same way at which he walked. Christ, mm. I mean, he gave his life. Like, he, yeah. he was a, if we look for an example of what it means to serve others and being living sacrifice. Clearly, there's no better example than the person of Jesus and how he came to serve and not be served and what he did. Um, and that, that is what we want to embody, right? It, it is the doing mm -hmm. of the faith. Uh, mm -hmm. I was in, re in preparing for this outline, I read a few Spurgeon sermons. And uh, I love Spurgeon gives the best illustrations. Yeah. I've got another oh. one later. Like I read his illustrations and I'm like, how did you? How did you come up with this? How did you come up? Like, how did you do that? I. <laughs> But, but he gave this example, and I love this. He gives this example of the cherub. He says, the cherubim have mm. beautiful wings of knowledge, mm. giant mm. wings, and they're immaculate and beautiful. But underneath their wings, they have hands of service. Beautiful. Like, such a great example. Such Incredible. a great example. Incredible. But that's it. That is the life. Like, we, we can have this knowledge to know Christ and know things about him. That's great. Yep. Um, that, but that should fuel the hands of our service and what we do to walk in the way in which he walked. Yeah. Beautiful, Jack. And I love that. What a, what a uh, profoundly and also very vivid um, 
illustration on wanting to be like Christ. I think that's where most people um, have, you know, if you're from my generation or before, kind of just drop dropped off. You know, you kind of get dropped off at church, basically, but you never know what to do next yeah. very much. And I think what the Bible is very emphatically teaching, which is a dimension that we've lost, is how Jesus is the exemplar. He is the one that we should imitate. He is the one. That's why the following of Jesus is so important in the Bible, not just believing in Jesus, but to believe in Jesus is to follow Jesus and yeah. to follow Jesus is to believe in Jesus. And if you don't have both those things together, you're, you're basically teaching hypocrisy, most likely yeah. to some level. You, so that, that's why the idea of following after his commands, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't obey me? Jesus puts it together. So we need to put it together. Yeah, absolutely. First John says it, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, right? Exactly, there it is. There it is. And, 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 and it goes without saying, right? We're, we're saying this, but to say it bluntly, serving Christ must go beyond lip service, right? That's yep. the point. Uh, I th there, again, yep. there's a dozen examples in scripture, but maybe the most uh, blatant example of this would be Judas. Right, the apostle yeah. Judas. Judas yeah. walked with the apostles. He was widely recognized as a close follower of Jesus. He was the treasurer, secretary, like he was entrusted with the money. He was around him for a long time. He knew, mm -hmm. you think about knowing Jesus, like in an intellectual yep. sense, he saw all that stuff. Mm. He saw every bit of it. He was right there, first hand account. And he sold Christ for a little bit of silver, a little bit of metal. It shows you how terrifying it can be to be around Jesus and not know him. Yeah. And, and I, I think, again, it, I just don't, you don't want to oversimplify it, but people just don't know the Bible. Yeah. They, they just don't know what the Bible says. Like a pastor gets up there and preaches something that's basically scriptural. People's like they've never heard in their life because people aren't preaching the Bible. Yeah. You know, I saw a, a lady um, post the other day. She's looking for a good church in our area. Or 75 comments. Not one of those posts had to do about the Bible, theology, worship, truth, or anything. None yeah. of it. Come to my church because we have this program. Or come to my church because we feel good about this. The, the reality, Jack, is no one knows the scriptures. No yeah. one knows what the scriptures are about. There was one lady who put on there. I think it was one lady. She had no comments on it, no likes, nothing on it. She said, come to my church if you want to hear the Bible preached expositionally. Jesus Christ lifted up and the Bible being high up here. I'm like, oh, there it is. there's That's one person of yeah. 75 that said the right thing and no one engaged with her. Yeah. I think it just shows the main issue here is people do not know what God's word says. They just yeah. don't. Yeah. Or they don't care. Yeah. You know, you and I have both been youth pastors. And yep. I, I know for a fact, because I've talked to parents, and you say, well, how did you find the church? Well, I heard the youth program was great. Exactly. Like, exactly they, they sh and there's nothing wrong with a great youth program. Like, I'm not- No, it's good. It's good not making, thing. It's good. But we make choices. So many people make choices on churches based on the music style, the- That's right. The program, whatever, right? The size. Yeah. Oh, they're my, type of, my kind of people, whatever. Yeah, we should be looking at the the doctrine. The the yes. is the word preach? Is it exegetical? Is there are there sacrament? Like looking at the is core of what? It, is it faith? Yeah, right there. Is it faith? Is it faithful? Is it faithful? Is it faithful yeah. to God? Does are anyone these people, care about God? Yeah, are these so? Are these people trying to walk That's in right. the way in which He walked? That's right. Is that taught? Do they care? about That's that? exactly it, Jack. That that yeah. verse is the key, I think, for us to understand. Like, 
do, do these people actually concern themselves with following Jesus to walk as he walked, to not live in hypocrisy? There's like you said, the difference between ignorant hypocrisy and willful hypocrisy. Right. You know, in, in the Bible comes really down hard on the willful part. Um, but at the same time, we, we need to, we need examples in front of us in our worship service, pastorally elders, deacons that show us how to follow Jesus with integrity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, another point here I had that we kind of meandered around was good, good discussion, but history does show that the religious hypocrites tend to commit some of the most heinous sin. And I used the example yeah. of Judas a minute ago, right? Yeah. Um, we talk, we've talked about churches that make it a point. Oh, my pastor is so eloquent. Oh, he's so great. Oh, we have all these programs, like all these things. Uh, another Spurgeon quote here uh, about the, you know, to what to look for in a church, right? Like be mindful of this, uh, that it's not just about talent and gifts and programs and all these things. That's about being in a community of believers who want to walk in the way with which you walk. But Spurgeon said, you may be as fluent as Whitfield. You may be as eloquent and mighty in the scriptures as was Apollos. But if you do not know Christ by your own individual personal acquaintance with his person, with his righteousness, and with his blood, you will not be saved by all your fine speeches. Rather, you are in imminent peril that out of your own mouth you will be condemned. I'll preach, man. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That, that, gets at the, that gets at the heart of religiosity and man-pleasing versus sincerity and, and, and God-fearing. Exactly. And, and wanting to please Christ. Yeah. Like that's who we should want to please above anyone else. First and foremost, him, last ourselves, first him. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so avoiding hypocrisy. So I think we've, we've, we've talked about what it is, what it isn't, the seriousness of the sin. We've looked at the first John text to kind of compare what it means to know Christ versus just kind of talk about him, right? Let's look at, um, uh, I've got seven points here that we can walk through about avoiding hypocrisy because it, it, we want as Christians, as those who want to walk in the way he walked, how do we do that? How do we uh, avoid hypocrisy, demonstrate a true and sincere faith and, you know, where the rubber meets road, how do we not be a hypocrite? Mm. Um, I've got seven points. I think this is, uh, there's probably a, a hundred you could, if you sat here and thought about yeah. it long enough, right? But yeah, seven things that I think may be a good place to start for anyone out there. Um, number one, uh, and we alluded to this earlier about the seriousness of it. Just, just remember, uh, when you make that little decision in your heart to act hypocritically and you convince yourself, you deceive yourself, ah, this isn't that big of a deal. Remember that God sees and knows all. Nothing you're doing is truly in secret. God sees the depths and deception in your own heart. You're not fooling him. You may fool your family. You might fool your church. You might fool everyone else around you. You're not fooling God. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think that that's probably the ultimate part there. Uh, it's, it's private religion, personal private religion. You know, some people take it too far. They never get to the public piece, but Private religion is where ultimately integrity comes from. Yeah. It's where yeah. it comes from. You know, that's why the whole issue is in public. Jesus is dealing with these people in public, you know, because their private religion is non-existent. Right. Right. And they're all about, we had a great service today, everybody. <laughs> the reality is, what about is God dwelling in you? And are you walking with him? Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think starting with the personal private aspect is always the crucial foundation. Right. Number two, remember that a day of judgment is coming. 
we talked about the seriousness of this and how God will judge. Don't lose sight of that. There is a day of the Lord and you yep. do not want to be on the wrong side of that. Um, yeah. I, mm. That is true. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a really challenging one for people. Again, I think it goes back to biblical literacy. Paul uses it as part of his portfolio of how to motivate people. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that think that, you know, the issue is whether what I've always seen in life is either people only use that or they don't use it at all. And the right. Bible uses it within a slew of things. One of the many things it uses to motivate people against hypocrisy and towards honesty and integrity. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, number three, earnestly pursue the fruits of the spirit. Mm. Uh, you've learned, if you've been in church growing up, you've, you know, this verse Galatians five, 22 through 24, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Pursue those things. Examine yourself. Am I loving? Am I joyful? Am I peaceful? Do I have patience? Kind of like, yeah, yeah pursue that. Let that grow in you. Seek that out. Pray about it. Pursue, earnestly pursue the fruits of the spirit. That's to uh, me also a great, that's a great point, Jack, because really what are the fruits of the spirit? They're the attributes of Jesus. Yep. So they are. They're the character traits of Christ. If we want to be like Christ, we should want the fruit of the Spirit because it's producing his life through us and in us, and we're looking like him. So we should want that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and bringing up Jesus, you know, he said in Matthew 7, you'll know them by their fruits. Right? He brings up this example. And I'll add that this, that this text I'm about to read, earlier we read the Lord, Lord, you know, mm -hmm. where were you? Uh, depart from you for I never knew you work with Allah. It's that scary text in Matthew 7. Note that this text I'm about to read comes immediately before that. Yeah. Uh, so don't, don't lose sight of that. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes from figs, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's that day of judgment. Thus you will yep. recognize them by their fruits. So earnestly pursue the fruits of the spirit. Um, uh, I know we're running short on time here, so we'll move kind of quick. Number four, uh, come to Christ with a sincere, true heart. Uh, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Mm. Beautiful verse. I think that um, I love that. What I love about that passage particularly um, is the sense of it, there's, like I said, there's kind of this either or thing that happens in church where either it's all about private religion and no public religion, right? Or all about public religion and no private religion. The Bible always puts them together. It says come to the Lord with true hearts and then come together without neglecting the fellowship of gathering. So again, the private part should lead to the public part so that we have integrity in our witness. But again, the idea of sincerity is absolutely crucial as we come yeah. to church every Sunday. Yeah. So if you don't, if your church doesn't have a confession of sin going on at least once in a while, tap your pastor. If you're a listener and say, we need to start confessing our sins to the other pastor. Yeah. Because that's very dangerous to not get that into the diet of your church because then they don't do it personally. 
They will not do it personally. I remember after I preached the, the book of Galatians, the first year I was here, I had a church member come up to me after 20 years and said, I have never confessed my sins more this in this year than ever before. Amen. And it's because we started doing a confession of sin every week. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it just show, it shows right. you if you don't do it publicly, people will not do it privately. Yeah. They just won't. And so it's yeah. a good, that's a good verse, Jack, to, to bring yeah. out. Yeah. Great verse. Um, number five, how do we avoid hypocrisy? How do we not become a hypocrite? Uh, have your mindset uh, as Philippians 2.12, have a mindset mm. that is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. Um, work it out. Don't be complacent. Don't act like, um, you've got it all worked out. Like recognize yep. that as we said earlier, God sees and knows all the day of judgment is coming and do that. And it flows right into the second one, but be yeah. one who makes your calling and election. Sure. Yeah. Do you doubt your salvation? Do you, are you a, do you act hypocritically and doubt it? Work it out. Make your calling and election sure. You know, we, yeah. you and I are both Reformed Presbyterians, and we were Calvinists and, and all that. But I am not. The scripture teaches like we need to pursue walking out our faith, right? Yep. We can have deep theological discussions about how God lays out these works beforehand that we should walk into them, but that is true. But it is very clear in scripture that we are called to make our calling and election sure and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Like we are responsible to do that as believers. So just the great word you said there, Jack, is we're, we're responsible. You yeah. know, God, God's grace means that we should be using it responsibly. Yeah. So are we using the grace he's given us, the means he's given us responsibly? Most people that tell us, well, we're living in hypocrisy, I'm living in sin. It's because either they're neglecting the means completely or they're not using them responsibly. They're not listening to the sermon. Right. They're not listening. They're not going forward with a humble heart when it comes to a time of confession or a time of communion. They're not listening to God. That's why yeah. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. So like you're saying, like, use the responsible means God's given. Stop, stop presuming upon the grace of God. Mm. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. Presuming upon the grace of God. That's, that's the opposite. That's a good, that's a good distinction there. And the number seven, it's kind of maybe inherent in all of these to some extent, mm. but fear God. Know what it means mm -hmm. to fear God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Know what it means to understand and have a reverent fear of God. Don't presume upon yes. the kindness and goodness of God. Yes. Uh, respect him, fear him as in that reverent fatherly sense. So those are seven, seven things that uh, I'd encourage you to do to how not to act. Great. To become a hypocrite. Mm. And then uh, in closing, uh, kind of final words. And Ross, I put this section in there. Uh, because who knows who's going to listen to this, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I would hope <clears throat> that maybe there's someone out there who their conscience has been pricked. Um, if your conscience has been pricked, recognize that that is a grace of God. Yep. Uh, conviction is a grace of God, and don't ignore it. Don't convince yourself that ah, I'm just being emotional right now. Like, yeah. respond to the Spirit. Make your calling yep. and election sure. Work yep. out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I would encourage you to repent today. Repent. Repent of, of, your, of the hypocrisy in your heart and the way you've been acting. Um, again, all Christians, we're all guilty of this in some sense. Uh, but those with a sincere faith, as, as the Bible says, we draw near with a true heart. Right? Um, so recognize your shortcomings and repent. Turn to Christ 
can know him more intimately today? Yeah, I would say, you know, the, the, the greatest um, remedy for hypocrisy is to truly listen to God's word. Um, people are not listening to God's word. They're distracted. They're not listening to the preacher. They're not reading their Bibles. They're not praying what they're reading. They're just going through the motions. The biggest problem with hypocrisy is because people are not believing God's word. That's why that, that warning that I brought up from Hebrews 3 hits it on the head. It, it's kind of like, don't fail to do this. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Right, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. So I think, I think the danger there is just not believing what you're hearing preached or not yeah. listening. And when you're not thinking that, oh, that's for somebody else. Biggest problem in church. That's for somebody else. That that confession's for somebody else. That that sermon was for somebody else. No, no, no. You're there, and it's being preached to you. So you need to listen. The preacher, a good one, has already preached it to themselves the entire week. Mm. And they've heard it. They've listened to it. Now they're telling you about it. So I think really yeah. the biggest immediate thing to fight against hypocrisy is to listen to the Lord who speaks in his word every Sunday. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Be be involved in your local church. Show up. Listen. Yeah. Show up. Yeah. Show up and um, listen. In that, so I, earlier I gave that Spurgeon example of the cherubim with the hands, which just blew my mind mm. when I read it. In the very same sermon I read, he gave this illustration on hypocrisy. So just like what a wet, like I don't know Spurgeon that he was something special, but he once he, gave yeah, this example. He says he was driving along, and he not too far from him, he saw this giant rotten tree branch that just fell, <laughs> and he says he began to think about think about it to himself, and and he began to wonder how long it had been rotten on the inside, attached to the tree, yeah. looking to be a yep. part of it, but just rotting out on the inside yep. until enough wind or persecution or whatever came right. and knocked it down, That's tore right. it down. That that is such a beautiful picture of the hypocrite because you may appear attached to it, you're rotting out on the inside, and it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but a day will come where you will fall off the tree. That's right. And that's that's a fantastic illustration of the progressiveness of hypocrisy and the danger that it really does bring and the in the destruction it can bring. Jesus is not talking to believers in Matthew 23. He's talking to people that are rotten to the core. So right. I think it does show that there's a sense of how do we get that life if we don't have it or get that life in a sense back and rekindle it, revive it. We've got to come to Christ. And I think yeah. there's a lot of people in churches that are unconverted. And I think because of that, they presume upon the grace of God that because they've had a good feeling about God, they had an experience 25 years ago or whatever, they think that that's sufficient. The Bible never talks about salvation like that. The mm -hmm. Bible says, as long as the day is today, listen to God's voice. So therefore, the Bible has more of a concern about the present life someone has, the yeah. present walk that someone has. And you could be walking for that long, but the Bible doesn't say presume upon that. It's just to walk with Christ in newness of life every day. So I think yeah. it's important for us to, to take stock and be sober in where we are with God. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Examine yourself. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So in, in closing, and we'll wrap up here, I wanted to share uh, the first couple of verses in that first John 2 text. So earlier mm -hmm. we read the two men, right? The, the, I know him. And then there's the one who says he knows him, but actually walks it out. Yeah. Notice how, for, how the text, the verses right before that, John says this, and I want to encourage you with this. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So mm-hmm. before, before John gives us that stern warning of, of the duplicity, right, where you've got the double-minded man, right. he says, I'm telling you this so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate. There is forgiveness. There's repentance. There's hope. Pursue Christ, right? Embrace and seek Christ. Mm-hmm. There's forgiveness there for all, for all hypocrites. That's, yeah, that's a great, great encouragement, Jack, to bring up from from First John two before he gets into the exhortation. Right? It's to comfort you that Christ is is ready at this time to be a door for you to walk through. To be a to be a balm for you, to heal you, to to forgive you, and I think because we think Jesus is so small often, and we don't think He's ready to forgive, we have to read His Word again, and He's telling us right there to come back to Him, yeah, constantly. And I think that's that's the good news is that hypocrisy can be defeated. It can yeah. be defeated with a strong Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just hates hypocrisy, He also forgives hypocrites. And I think he wants to do that for us. So we, we can kill it. Our Lord is, is, is on board with killing it in our hearts. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, I think we, I think we did it, Ross. We made it through I think the, we did it. through the I think outline. We did it. We so did it. any, any closing words, anything else to add? Um, I would, I would just say, you know, for get, this is a really big issue. It, it really is on, in the idea of the, of hypocrisy is so underplayed. I, I think if I would encourage people listening out there, go go to a church, irrespective of how many people it has or or how large or small some men, go to a church that, that has integrity. Yeah. Go to a church that has integrity, that cares about hypocrisy, that knows where it's hip, hypocritical in its own heart. Find a church, you know, do it in the right way, but find a church that cares about integrity and doing ministry that's that's honoring to Jesus in in and hates its own hypocrisy and is honest about it yeah. and, and wants to walk with Jesus in newness of life. I mean, that's the best thing that you can do. I think when you think about how can I fight it, fight it with other people that are fighting it. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. That's what Amen. I'd say. Amen. I'd agree completely. All right. Well, this has been Jack and Mr. Ross. Ross Thank you so no, much. Ross, Ross, the nerdy pastor being called me Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Go with Ross. Ross, thanks for hopping on. Really, this was Absolutely, great. Absolutely, Jack. This was great. You're, you're a great friend, brother, and, and uh, so grateful for your ministry with Course on the Chaos. And just, we love y'all. We're so grateful for what yeah. you do. And uh, same, same always here, fires right. me up seeing your, your podcast and your videos and everything. Yeah. yeah well, thank you, brother. Uh, so this has been Jack and Ross with the Course in the Chaos and maybe a little bit of Charles Spurgeon, too. He, mm, he definitely contributed quite a bit to this. He definitely contributed a lot, <laughs> lot quite a bit. Yeah. Whether he knows it or not. So anyway, yeah. thanks so much for listening. Until next time. 